Good evening, everybody. This is the Unreasonable Podcast, where we talk about venture capital and things that move the world. And here in Asia, on episode four, my name is Hien from Open Space Ventures. And with me are two other unreasonable folks, Vishal Hanal from 500 Global and Michael Blakey, general partner, Cocoon Capital. Good evening, guys. We made it. Four. Look at that. Yeah. Freddie was just saying we have over a thousand listens so far for the previous episode. So that's I quite guess that's, good. that's a pretty good landmark. I have some people give us some good feedback, which we're going to use for this episode. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's not just my mom and dad giving us high fives and five stars anymore. And, and your wife here and Jeannie or yeah, can, know, I, can I just kids. point, I, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, I sent it to my parents and they were like, we got rid of you 30 years ago. Why the hell do we actually <laughs> want to listen to you again? Michael resurrected. <laughs> do, do you know what my mom and dad think about this podcast? What? They don't know about the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I, I just want to see whether it works before I give it to them. Oh, gosh. So It's Vish working. It's working. <laughs> what did you guys do this week? Vishal, did you buy a car? Oh, God. How awesome oh, God. was that? Did it you was, like your car? I, <laughs> <laughs> We've got to stop teasing me about vehicles, guys. But I did do something really interesting. I went for an NFT exhibition at the Singapore Freeport. Oh, wow. And it baffles the mind, right? You think about non-fungible tokens, digital assets. The way they do these exhibitions is that they actually print out and frame the NFTs in physical... <laughs> <laughs> And hang them on the wall. Doesn't that sound It's pretty odd, right? Some of them are projected and they look fantastic. It's quite okay. a nice, immersive experience. Highly recommend everyone check it out. It's called Right Click and Save. It's done by Appetite and CoinHako. Right Click and Save. Yeah. Very, okay. very cool. But still quite a disjointed experience. You know, when you look at a printed piece of what, NFT what and put it on the wall. What was the most expensive one you saw? Oh, there was something by Beeple. Oh, yeah. Yes, that one of our Kaufman Juniors, Jehan, had, had offered for the exhibition. How much was that? I don't know how much it cost. <laughs> oh, my God. But I'm sure it was a lot. Oh. I'm sure it was a lot. Oh, wow. Thousand ETH, as you know, the <laughs> crypto bros like to say. Michael, what were you doing this week? I was slightly less glamorous. Anybody from England will appreciate this. I was praying to the porcelain gods. Sorry, what does that mean? God, Michael. That meant I basically should never cook for myself or should never trust anybody else to cook. you were throwing up in the toilet. I was throwing up in the toilet. I managed to get, my, I managed oh, to get food no. poisoning. Oh, my God. I try to blame it on one of my associates. but Is, but, is it but, the pear vodka you've been drinking? It's it, it could very well be <laughs> pear vodka, the pear vodka that I, I have been <laughs> drinking. Horrendous combination. Um, I'm fully recovered now. Uh, obviously, took took the COVID test, but I was like, pretty obvious that I'm not actually got COVID. But better safe than sorry. I mean, you have a sniffle, you've got to take one of these. So you tests. just stay at home and watch sport and telly and stuff like hey, that. Hey, look, it's the Cricket World Cup. Oh, me cool. being English, but being English, I also very cynical. We'll do really, really well, and then we'll get to the final. <laughs> And then we'll bugger it all up. We'll lose in quite spectacular fashion. Yeah, well, that's the British way. That's the British way of doing it. Like we do, like we, we look unstoppable, but we just have to kind of do something really inane to manage to lose the game. But Ian, what have you been up to? You give us grief about, tell us about your exciting life. I just came back from Dubai. Oh, right, okay. With, with the Cricket World Cup was being played in real life. Did you watch it? No, of course not. Why not? Well, first of all, it's impossible to get tickets. And I'm lucky I got a hotel room. They were, I think, like two times more expensive. I, I was shocked. I thought Dubai was expensive. Then someone told me it's the Cricket World Cup. Cricket is a sport. You know, it, yeah, it's everywhere, like... Everywhere, yeah. It, 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 people, it, people, people give it grief, but there's billion people that follow it. You, you know, in a past life, I actually played for the Singapore national team. 
Cricket? Yeah. Or did wow. you play like wicket keeper or no? Bowler? I was a I was a batsman. Oh, you're a batsman. And, a, and then a bowler. Very briefly. But did you have to give it up because you didn't want to wear a cap because it might ruin your hair? No, he did his seventy style. Damn. Yeah. It's a. Uh, you know. You know what? The worst part about that is that it's not even completely untrue. <laughs> <laughs> What was the highest, like, did you ever do like a century? Have you ever done a century? What's the highest score? The funny thing is that I don't even remember. I don't mm. remember so much of that entire time. Mm. Like, I can't because you were unconscious because the ball hit you. Yeah, the I, was, I, was too, I was too busy adjusting my hair in the morning <laughs> to remember how I was actually playing. It's so, uh, probably why it was very, very short-lived time. Uh, <laughs> but it's good to have you back from Dubai. It's an amazing city. It's very vibrant. It's now one of the hearts of innovation. And I think the Abu Dhabi government is doing a, a good job controlling it. But when I came back, I missed flying so much that when I was back in my bed, I put white noise of the aircraft uh, no, like while I was sleeping just to pretend I was back on you, business you told, class because I told just want to fly again. You told us that you did that to drown out genie. No, 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 no. I just want to fly. <laughs> I just want to fly again. And, uh, and I encourage everybody. The world is perfectly fine. To all the Singaporean people based here, go out, do your VTLs. Uh, you'll feel so refreshed. I feel refreshed. I come back and then I get to make jokes with you cheeky monkeys <laughs> I, s I still don't know why you use that phrase it's, <laughs> it's, it's either that or who, I swear who says right? that cheeky monkey <laughs> you cheeky monkey it's your cheeky monkey alright oh, alright then so we're, we're very lucky a lot of people are actually giving us feedback and comments and so we're gonna kick off the podcast with a viewer suggestion and one of the viewers actually said look I really like listening to all you guys talk about startups and stuff like that but how about yourselves right you guys are venture capitalists you guys have to fundraise so the question is how do you guys fundraise and how do you guys actually make money and I'll say this one thing first to preface which is that all of us in some ways are also startup guys because there was no VC scene or rather there was a burgeoning VC scene and all of us had to start up our funds so Vishal, 500 startups was what you were called in the old days. I've got to say that at first, I'm surprised that someone gave you feedback that you need to talk more about yourself. That's, that, that's <laughs> shocking uh, to begin with. <laughs> Some, you know, I, I can't say. <laughs> Do carry on, Vishal. Yes, he sometimes has a hard time with sarcasm. It befuddles him. But yeah, I think... Well, we started 500 over here in Southeast Asia. Back then it was called 500 Startups in 2013, 2014. And back during that time, when we set up our first funds in Southeast Asia, there wasn't very much of a venture capital ecosystem. We've talked about this in past episodes. Very little going on. And we called ourselves 500 Durians. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. still like a, yep. a pretty well-known well name in the ecosystem. Why you would name yourself on one of the most stinkiest fruits. It was a Malaysian thing, right? No, it was it was pan-Southeast Asia, but, but it was also a fruit that's unique across Southeast Asia. And oh. the thinking back then was, much like the durian, investing in Southeast Asia was an acquired taste. It was for the few connoisseurs who appreciated the market. I've never heard that story before. That's that very was the, interesting. That was, the, that was the genesis of that name. And... You, you know, are smart. That's that that quite, quite clever. You're not just thank a pretty you. face. That's <laughs> always good to know. But how did you convince your first investors to invest in 500 durians? You know, Hien, I think 
that's one of the things that ties us very strongly to entrepreneurs. We are entrepreneurs in our own right when we set up these new funds and venture capital firms. Back then, it was just Kylie and myself, my partner and I, trying to build this new model of investing in venture in Southeast Asia, trying to sell the market. And when people are unfamiliar with venture capital or this asset class, this new and burgeoning asset class for this entire market, what you're effectively selling is yourself and your ability to do something. Because when you're pitching an investor and you're just getting started, what you're saying to that prospective LP or that prospective investor is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Who were the first people who actually gave you and believed in this crazy story? It was what I'd call a, a motley crew of benefactors. It's friends, family, people who have deep degrees of trust in you. There were some players from government that so supported us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, now they're pretty happy about it. That's but, right. You know, in the, in the longer run, given you know, all of the unicorns that have come out of that entire era in our portfolio. But... Back then, it's just people who were early believers. Did you believe have, in you? Did you have any of they those? They have some so belief in the opportunity. Yeah. And that's what they wanted to get access to at that point in time. Did you have anyone, you know, what, what we call institutional investors, like people who were running money for other people, endowments? Did anyone come in those days? We had one government body that came in. Yeah. Yeah. So that is the most institutional of investors that we had. But from our second fund and now our third fund, the proportion of institutional investors in those vehicles is obviously increasing, but that wasn't the case in 2013 or 2014. So the answer to that viewer who gave that comment was just pure chutzpah and, you know, guts to glory. That's right. Oh, wow. That's right. You're just selling yourself. Sell yourself. Right. There selling you go. VC selling themselves. Michael, how did you raise your money? I raised a few years after. I, I, our first fund was closed in like 2016. We took a slightly different approach. I was, and my co-founder, Will, we were angel investors, very successful. So we actually had a track record and we both hated the VC model. <laughs> you know, I, I know we all disagree slightly on, on our approach, but the problem that we had and the reason we went into it is nobody wanted to invest at the stage and the type of companies that we were looking at, like deep tech and enterprise tech. At that point in time, all VCs were really focused, if they would come down to our kind of pre-seed, seed level, were more focused on consumer tech. So for me, when I was looking at companies, it was really hard to actually find other people that would co-invest alongside us. I've been doing this since 2000. So the last time I had a salary was in 1999. So we took the approach of, we won't actually charge a management fee. So you don't charge a management we don't fee. We don't charge a management fee. I just fell off my chair. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, he doesn't charge a management fee. You know that, right? He doesn't charge a management fee. I, I did not know that. Yeah. You know, you it know, also explains why Hien has that new Patek on his wrist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you have the shiny car. <laughs> and I, I have nothing. <laughs> so, um, but why was it important that you had to show your investors that you were not charging a fee? I think first off, it aligned us with them. And we take a slightly higher carry than normal. You know, it's not like I'm giving up something that I had before. So I didn't actually have a salary before. And I put my money where my mouth is and so did Wills. We put a lot of money of our own money into the fund as well. And, you know, we only took a couple of weeks actually to raise the funds. Wow. And who were the people who came in? Friends and family as it was, well? It was mostly other early stage investors. So uh, we didn't have any institutions. Uh, we had a couple of like smaller family offices, but people we'd invested in and done well for in the past. 
and they believed in, in what we were doing. And they, you know, there was a number of investors there that said, look, we would never invest in a seed fund. And then we said, look, we don't charge a management fee. And they were like, okay, we'll invest. Wow. Yeah. Well, in other words, it's people who really believed in you and people who believed in Will, right? Yeah. A deep degree of trust in your ability to execute and get something done. Yeah. And they, they knew we weren't taking like a shortcut. Like we weren't sitting there thinking we're just going to, we took, we did a whole bunch of other things to try and change the model that VCs have. Some of them were great ideas. Some of them were not so great. So the management fee that, that has begun to bite, but I wasn't divorced at that point in can, time. Can you, can you please start charging a management fee? I've told you this for like yeah. many, many years, Mike, could just start charging. I'm going to start telling you that now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, no, we, we are, we, we, we're going to start because funnily enough, when we're hiring a team, they actually want to get paid. It's not just about us. They're like, yeah, 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 we're happy. You can work for free, Michael, but you know, we're, we're in our twenties. We'll, you know, give us, give us our money. You, you're you're going to be limited in terms of scaling to yourselves otherwise. Right. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to find a better, as Yen likes to say, a better business model to invest in other people and bring them on board the Michael and Will journey because all that, what you've learned and how you help these companies, you got to share it with other people. I think at the beginning we were like no management fee, no nothing, but it's all about evolution. So every fund that we've done, you know, since then we have changed and it's all about learning. So I don't believe like the traditional model. So you've got to try things. And as you rightly said, we're all entrepreneurs. You've got to push the boundaries. You've got to figure out how far you can push them. Sometimes you push it too far and you're like, okay, maybe that wasn't our world's greatest idea. A little foreshadowing. Okay, just charge a fee, Michael, just please, right? But I'll tell you this, some LPs actually go like, show us what your budget is, right? And we've got 30 people, so we justify it. You know, we've got a lot of people on the ground. 30 people now? We have 32 people, actually. Wow. Wow. All across the region. Your empire is growing. (laughs) So is his expense account. So is my expense account. No, no, no. Actually, I'll tell you that. We we spend the money and our LPs know that. But I'll give you like how we did it, right? So we did it completely differently. We're corporate types. So we wanted to start... And our target was to get institutional investors to pay attention to Southeast Asia from day one. So I think we did one of the smartest things. We partnered up with the private equity group. That's why our first fund was there. And I remember I was like, this is going to be great. And then we went on the road and we kept on hitting institutional investors. And boy, did we get thrown out of boardrooms. At one point in time, I turned to Shane and I said, first time asset class for many people in a first time region with the first time. Any other first times you want to do right now? It's really, really hard. And I remember on the road, one and a half years. And this is despite you being an entrepreneur with an exit and Shane coming from an well, investment well, banking for, background. For two years, we didn't pay ourselves a salary. Two years we didn't, right? Because we had the, the private equity group help us, but we said, look, we'll do this ourselves. It, and, it's funny. I think yeah. that that's one of the commonalities as well, because in the first like couple of years, Kylie and I were basically on a stipend. We didn't even exactly, pay right? ourselves anything. Yeah. And, and two years, right? And I remember this, we did the first close and now we had a fighting chance to get a big LP. And we, had, we flew to San Francisco, a fund of fund, which will never be mentioned. And we met the head of venture. And I remember this, I got into the car and then, you know, Ashish called me, he's now at KKR. I was like, so how did it go? Ashish was mentoring us. I'm like, dude, we got it. This is the one, this is the one that's gonna bring us to like, you know, $70 million, we got it. 
And then a week later, it was like a rejection. Oh. Like, oh, this is great, but we didn't get it. And then, so what was the feedback at that point in time on no, why they, they weren't they, investing? They tend to kind of like, you know, keep their cards close to their chest. It's the same thing with venture capitalists, right? Sometimes venture capitalists don't want to tell entrepreneurs. And we try to tell people because I hate it when the other side. But the cool thing was I was sulking in a rented office with Shane. And Shane's this master, master fundraiser, right? And the call comes in. It was from another LP, an endowment. And they go like, hey, I heard you guys are doing well in your fundraise. And Shane goes, yeah, yeah, not bad, not bad. Like, hey, you know, so we really like you guys. How about we give you like $15 million? Is that okay? I know we're kind of late. You know, if you've guys got space, we had like, <laughs> and then Shane doesn't even blink. He goes, yeah, we're kind of like late in the process and we're getting almost oversubscribed. But since you guys are so good. Can I just say, you know I, I, love your, I love your Shane accent. <laughs> it's so spot no, on. But Shane goes, yeah. I'm sure he's going to love it yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, this guy's an investment banker for 20 years. He goes like, you know, we're almost getting quite close tight with the book. We had like nothing in the book, but we'll find some space for you guys. And then the, the, the LP goes, oh, that'd be really great. I really appreciate it. No problem. And then once they committed and everybody heard that they had committed, Right, because these, these are very them. good. Because <laughs> yeah. we do tell them, we go like, "Hey, so and so endowment is here." Oh my God, the books just went, and that's about how it's all amazing. Startups no, fundraise, you, man. Exactly. exactly. I was just about to say that, like, that's it. That is, that is the founder story. Yeah, so you yeah. know, when you hear for you when our startup founders come together and they talk about how hard it is to fundraise and the hustle and the and the sales that they've got to go through to create that FOMO and drive and momentum. Yeah. We do the same thing. I can feel exactly that moment because that was the moment. When Shane and I looked in the eyes, go like, we're in business. And that was about one and a half years. The way I like to think about it is that you've got to remember that the asset class isn't just the venture capital funds, right? What the asset class really is are the startups and the founders that we're investing in. And if you think about startups and the mortality rate of startups, most startups fail, right? Most of them do not succeed. And that's true for funds as well. Most of the returns of venture capital come from very, very few firms. It's like the top quartile percentage of firms that are providing the lion's share of the returns of the asset class. So if you are an LP looking at where to allocate capital, you've got to make sure that you're allocating it. And that's when you say 500 quartile. is a top quartile fund and that's why it's not risky. Top quintile investors like no, it's ourselves true. You it's know, true. rarely oh, lose wow. capital. No, what I would say, what I, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. But what I would say is this, I think one of the reasons why we, for example, have diversified portfolios is to offset that risk, right? Like, so we invest in larger numbers of companies to drop down the risk of investing in venture. The other thing I'd say is this, you've got to think about it from a risk adjusted basis and where venture fits into your portfolio, right? Your 100% of your portfolio is not going to be venture, but you should have some of it inside. And if you think about it from that perspective, venture has always outperformed every other asset class. So if you look at you everything that's happening right over the last 30 years, yeah. it's consistently outperformed every other asset class. And not just by a little bit, but by a mile. As long as, as you, you choose, choose the, right, the right, right manager. manager. Which is like, why track record is very important. That's right. That's why the first fund is always the most difficult. It is. Until you it screw is. up on your first fund and you have it no is. track record and you it just is. get out of the business. Well, if you think about it, there were funds that existed in 2013 and oh, 2014 yeah. that all of us know about that no longer exist. No, <laughs> no. You know why? Because I think that I, I think that it's part and parcel of the journey yeah. and the process. Yeah. It's not that the people are like terrible or what they do or anything of the sort, but it's a manifestation of what the asset is that we're investing in, which is startups and founders. 
Yeah. Uh, you've got to just make sure that you're getting the best founders to come to you. I think the other thing to Michael and why probably investors invest with you is I know a lot of institutional investors want to see stability in the team. You know, this this can take 10, 15 years and they want to see people stick around. And if you've got a lot of money, Michael, in your own funds, you're going to stick around. Yeah, but I, I think a lot of first time kind of fund managers actually have a lot of money in the funds. One of the things I get asked a lot around around this is, where do you get your deals from? That's a really common question. And I, I think that's where a lot of fund managers really struggle. And especially we're talking about seed stage because we can't just expect everybody to come to us. So I remember when I first moved here, I actually got really annoyed with 500 startups. I'm, <laughs> I'm allowed to say that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You pissed me off. Oh. Every single company that I ever met, oh, we've already talked to 500. So I, I, <laughs> it, it, it's like, and I always say, where, where, I, where I see success is, is an early stage investor. I've got to be one of the first five people that a founder talks to when they're fundraising because good companies don't get past five people you won't guarantee that you'll be that every one of those five will say yes because everybody has slightly different investment remits or they might be having a good day or bad day but very rarely have you seen a guaranteed winner get past five investors i'm so happy to hear we have spoken to all of them they, they all think vishal is going to give them the money that's why it was so difficult for you well he has, <laughs> he has a slightly different model than me so for me just going back to the, the you know it's You've got to show that you, A, you know what you're doing and you have a very clear business model. A lot of people just rate, and they think it's just about fundraising. Money now, even in Southeast Asia, is like a commodity. It's like, what can you bring on top of, it's not just about the money. And the smart founders know about that. It used to be, it's all about the valuation. It's all about just getting the money. Now it's like, okay, what can you offer? Now, if you're a larger fund, you can, you can have a tech team, you can have an HR team. You know, as a small fund like us, we have to be kind of be able to figure out how we can differentiate ourselves. And I think both Will and I being ex-founders, we have a couple of ex-founders within our team. So we can offer a lot of advice and we don't do that many deals. We only do about five deals a year. And then we spend most of our time working with them, which is how I've got results over the last 20 years and, and Will's achieved the same. That's what we can then go to the investors and say, we actually have a very clear model. It's very different than what other people are doing, but this has worked for us as individuals and we think we'll be stronger as a So after team. Vishal mm. says, I'll invest in you because he's seen everybody, yeah. they're coming to you. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, since you're so, the deep tech specialist, deep, it's I'm interesting. Tech it's price. interesting, like, I remember when I started in venture in, you know, in 2014, 2015, and the way that it was done back then is you invest in a few companies, you sit on the board, and especially over here in Southeast Asia, you then tell the founder what to do and run the companies for them, right? Make decisions on their behalf, you know, threaten them if you if you did not like what they were doing or have just such punitive investment terms on the convertible notes or on the equity documents that, you know, 3X liquidation preferences were a thing in 2014 and 2015 yeah. in the investment ecosystem. Oh, I remember that. It was insane. No, can I tell you a story? I literally shot two angel investors. I took them out and I put double because they were doing a round for one of the companies. I was doing SPV in those days. And there were these two angel investors and they were still holding out on the 3X lick prep. So I had coffee with them. And then one of them said to me, Hien, you're an investor now. Stop thinking like a founder. The guy 3X can. And I just, I got out of the meeting. I called the founder and I started saying, like, you bunch of mother beep, beep. Like, I'm going to fuck. And then the founder literally says, calm down. We'll just take them out of the round. 
And I had the pleasure of just saying, hey, we don't need your 100,000. Goodbye. And I took that three X. So, but it's still my... happening now. No. Uh, no. Michael, it is not. No, it's not. It, it, I have... Who, what kind I, of dark alleys are you? Hold on, hold on a <laughs> second. If that's still you're happening thinking, now, you've got to stop. You, you, you're you're thinking at... Singapore. Oh. Right. Okay. We are covering Southeast Asia. And there are countries where it is, and, and I had okay, one situation okay, Michael, where your East Timor investment thesis <laughs> <made over laughs> is special, <laughs> but still growing, still, still growing. growing. Hey, hey, look, yeah, yeah. It's it comes down to so we had an interesting situation where an investor had invested in a founder, and he had taken just over sixty percent of the business for not very much money. And, but I've got to say, when we went and talked to him, we kind of explained to him and said, look, this is this is uninvestable. Was he willing to recapitalize the company? He was willing to recapitalize. Like he, he was, so sometimes- But did you take the dagger out of his- <laughs> No, I, I've got to say, sometimes, it's just, pure, sometimes Nobody... it's just pure ignorance. Other times, I have seen okay, it in other yeah. instances where- It's predatorial. It's predatorial. Okay. You know, it's just that this happened relatively recently, but it, it, Singapore is a very developed market and there's quite a bit of money here. Even if you're going to Vietnam, even if you're going to Thailand, the Philippines, there's not much seed funding there. People are desperate. They don't have access to all the information and the ecosystems that have been built here. So people know what's right what, and wrong. What I will say, though, is this, like learning from the experience in Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, that changes so rapidly. So if that is still the case and there are predatory terms and investors in that market, that e the markets evolve out of it very quickly as opportunities arise and that bad behavior gets weeded out really fast. And so my bet is, if that is still the case in those markets right now, in another couple of years, you know, there's no space for investors like that. Well, there's it's definitely no space for out. that in Indonesia right now. Yeah, 100%. You can't do that in Indonesia. <laughs> I mean, what, what we should do... Founders no, give you the term sheets. Yeah, over there, that's you know? right. By the way, for all of our listeners, like Hien's way of signaling to people on this podcast that it's time to move on is he does this really hilarious lasso-like movement with his index finger, just waving it in I'm the air. Woman. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a sight to behold. Well, I'm going to lasso you to the next topic because... One of the most interesting things that have happened in venture capital, and this is a bit of inside baseball, so bear with us if you're not a venture capitalist in the community, but Sequoia Capital just flipped the script on VC funds. That's what Silicon Valley Business Journal says, because what they've done is, as they claim, uh, revolutionize venture capital once again by having a master fund and sub-fund structure. So for the listeners, I'll explain this to you. Normally, we oh, just so have it's funds. A, so it's a fund of funds. It's a fund of funds, but basically what happens is for all of us, we raise funds. We raise close-ended funds, 10-year fund, and then we go to the next one, next one, next one. What Sequoia has done is they've done a master feeder fund. That's the only fund you can invest in. And from there, you are expected to finance and contribute to their sub-funds, which are closed-ended. And as a result, you never leave the Sequoia family. It's a revolution, or is it not? Reasonable or unreasonable? Sequoia Capital. For me personally, it's... It's not revolutionary, it's evolutionary. And I think there's a, there's a big difference in regards to phrasing it that way. And I think it's something also only Sequoia, maybe there's one or two other funds out there that can actually do. And I think the one thing that they've said that I think is really true is that nobody has really looked at how to change the VC model how to actually change, you know, everybody kind of... But why does the VC model need to be changed, Michael? Because quite often, it, 
the world has changed. And also, you know, moving slightly on a different topic, but the same thing, you know, is, is do you know why an accelerator runs for three months? No. The reason why was the first accelerator was run during the summer holidays oh. of universities in Boston. So that is the scientific way why 90% of accelerators are run for- Look at for, that little tidbit of venture history right there. It's the same. And I think for- VCs, somebody just picked, it probably was a nice round number, let's just pick 10 years. Let's just do it that way. There's probably no scientific, nobody's actually researched, is that the right amount of time I, or not? I think it was it was based on the amount of time it took for a company to go public back then, which In is, 19, yeah, well, which is, which is, it would well, take seven to 10, 7 to 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Sequoia's argument is that they want to hold on to the stock for 20 years. Correct. Or 30 and or so, 40, you know, as you long invest, as it takes. You invest in sub fund, 10 years later, when it goes public, we will transfer that to the main Sequoia fund and we can hold it for another 10 more years. Yeah, is that reasonable that. or unreasonable in your view? So I think there's a lot of people, including Sequoia, have commented about it. And in some ways it does make sense because they do want investors to stay with them and be patient, right? But I think one of the things that they don't really talk about is the tax implication. So what I mean by that is in America, there's now a big pressure to charge more and more tax, especially once you make a distribution. So once if my company goes IPO and I sell the a stock and I, I give it back to my investors, I get taxed immediately. In this case in Sequoia, from what we understand, right? If you go to the main fund and you hold it there for a certain amount of time and then you recycle it back to the sub funds, we've been told that's actually a very tax efficient way. So do, I think that's one thing they're probably do, thinking of. Do very LPs hard. like endowments who would probably form the base of pensions, who, who form the base of Sequoia's LPs, would they be taxed too? Yeah, no, that's the whole point. So then when they really need the money to go and build a hospital or whatever, then they will, you know, when they take the money at that point in time, it could be like 15, 20, the tax bill could be quite high, but because of the compounding, in fact, they didn't pay tax and they let it in there for all 20 years. Uh, it's quite a manageable and very impactful thing. However, I'm sure before you get a distribution and before you take money out of the Sequoia fund, I think I'm sure Sequoia would say, are you sure you really want to take the money out of the fund? You know, oh, okay, it's a hospital. That's fine. So long as you don't give it to Tiger and coach you. I, I, wonder, <laughs> I, I wonder whether that would cut down allocation that they'd have in the future if you take it out. It's right? a bit like, you know, the Patek watch and you have to have, you swear allegiance to the Sequoia business model, but you know, they're, they've done phenomenally well and their customers are long-term investors. Like I have a lot of family offices in my, in my LP base. I cannot do that, right? They just want to pick and choose tactical situations. But if you're an endowment and you've got a 30 year view, and most of Sequoia's LPs, I've been told, are these kind of uh, investors. It makes perfect sense but, for them. But let me ask you this. Do LPs want to hold on to shares of publicly listed companies or they'd rather someone else manage that problem? Yeah, so that's the big thing. And I think that's what they're going to try and convince uh, people. So, you know, is it revolutionary or revenue generating? Well, they're charging a 1% fee, but I'm told that the hurdle is very high. So, yeah, you know, it's kind of like... If you put money in the Sequoia fund, you get 45 billion of the best Sequoia public companies. We charge you 1% fee, you save on your tax. It's a high hurdle anyway. And when the cool funds come up, you get first dips on it. So I think it's quite interesting. But do you think anybody apart from Sequoia will be able to do this? Mm. Mm. Well, Vishal. well, I think it's gonna be hard for now, but I think that's going to get, become easier in the future. More people are going to emulate this model. More people are going to riff on it. But if you really think about it, it's not even a new model. 
right? Like the idea of having a main fund and a sub fund and paying out investors at a coupon rate or something like that, it's not necessarily a new invention. I think what's new is about seeing it in the context of venture, where it's probably not been done before. The way I'd like to think about this is perhaps there are a few forces that have been operating in the market for a while, and this is a great way to deal with them. Force number one, the public guys have been coming into the private sector, into private investments, into venture capital, harder and harder and harder over the years. The lines between what is a hedge fund versus what is private equity versus what is growth versus what is venture is so blur right now. So how do you win at a game like this? You win at a game like this by ensuring that you have access to capital in the way you want to invest it, being able to pounce on it without friction and at the speed at which you want to do it. You can iterate and spin up new products. You can invest in new opportunities without necessarily being beholden to a fund structure or where in the capital line you invest. And this is why 500 Global is now announcing a master feeder structure fund. <laughs> that's, that's exactly the same. <laughs> Due to compliance reasons, we can... It no, makes no, 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 it no. Makes sense. No, nothing like that. But yeah. what I think Sequoia is really trying to create is a venture version of Renaissance Capital which is the perpetual capital machine. Eventually, when your assets are high enough and you've earned enough of income through your public shareholdings or whatever it is, through the carried interest that you're receiving and through your public market returns right now, you may reach a point in a decade's time where you may not have to take external capital at all. You can continue to invest and grow the firm with its own internal capital. And I think that, in my view, should be the real end game in this, and it might very well be. No, that's not what Sequoia says. Sequoia says we we work for the you know the greater good. You know for all now. the LPs for now. <laughs> and also, you oh, can't, who, no, who, said, who said you can't do? Yeah. Who said you can't do greater good with your own with your own, with your own money? Oh. Right, it's totally possible for them to do that. That's okay. So I, I think it's it's those goals aren't uh, you know at odds with each other, and that's perfectly possible. But I think the ability to have control your own capital think about it it's like every vc's dream right where you can raise an unlimited amount of capital it's perpetual and you don't have to go out fundraising think about it from a founder's perspective it's every founder's dream if you look at like for george soros i mean that's what he did he made an absolute fortune managing other people's money made so much of money himself that he actually returned everybody else's money and now is just investing his own money and he has total freedom he can do whatever he ever he wants but a question for you vishala is that I actually thought it was an interesting announcement they made. But one of the things that really disappointed me, especially being based in Southeast Asia, is that they excluded Southeast Asia and China or or kind of Asia as a whole. Part of it is probably like regulatory for reasons. But did you not find that like disappointing? Would you do you think that hopefully they will come into Southeast Asia? Because we're all talking about it. And now we see all the opportunities that are happening. They're obviously investing here. Do you want to see this, what they're doing move I, into Southeast I'm not, I'm not disappointed Asia? by it. I don't think it's disappointing. I think that there are probably a variety of reasons why they haven't. And it's, this is pure speculation, right? So in my view, if I'm sitting in their shoes, I may not necessarily want to start by having all of my funds across all of the markets come on this structure. I'd first want to see how it goes, right? Let's, let's start with two see how that progresses, and if it works, then let's expand it over, right? That might be one of the simple reasons why, and regulatorily, it may be complex. Maybe that's the second. I don't know, but Hien, do you have any views on this? Yeah, I mean, I think Sequoia is, at the end of the day, still serving LPs, and 
this is a very big change for them. I don't think they would want to put everything mm. in until they Number get all, your eggs all, in one basket. The, all the LPs comfortable with it. I know all of us think that Sequoia has such you know great influence over the LPs, but you know it's a very competitive market. And if you listen to the podcast and Roloff actually said they hope that in future they'll put all the funds in there. So I think you know it's evolutionary, and you know. People are talking about this as if this is a big thing. Venture has gone through so many, many different. I'll give an example. Uh, DST, right? Yuri Milner, the most yeah, the he famous listed, guy. He had the, he listed his funds right a, lo- a long well, time ago. His his plan was that he felt that he could keep companies private longer so that they could be more flexible. And his big trade was Facebook. So mm. his actions let Facebook stay loss making for longer. And yeah. today we just. Take that as a given because apart from DST, you've got Kochu, you've got Tiger, you've got so many people who are willing to do that. And so, so are he, you saying that DST is responsible for Facebook now? No, no I'm, I'm not just saying messing, that. I'm messing with you. Look at that. Look at that. You know, at that time, Mark Zuckerberg was right still now. a mission-driven, <laughs> and he still is. He was a mission-driven no, robot he, all the time. He took out the secondaries and he allowed employees to take some money off the table. He kept the company private. And I think that was also equally revolutionary and I think Sequoia is just doing one thing in the whole change the fact that you guys have got 500 startups when you guys started it was absolutely revolutionary as well it's true so I just take it in the whole context one of the you know riffing on that and just building on up on it I think that innovation and venture moves slowly but it does happen and I think we've seen a lot of it in the last decade so when I was thinking about what was truly innovative or new in the venture capital model the first thing that came to mind for me was actually AngelList. I was just going to say. Which is, it's truly platform and product-based, and it democratizes access to venture for both founders who want to fundraise and for LPs who want to participate in it, right? You don't have to be a rich, hugely loaded, wealthy individual or, in, or endowment or institutional investor to find source deals, invest in them, and do things Can like I that. Can I give you an example? Tell I me. met a guy in Dubai. He's one of the leading lights of the angel investment scene. Mm. He said through AngelList, he essentially controls a $50 million fund. There we go. Because he only put like the four ro- five million the dollars. The rolling funds that they've started Everybody just now. put in because it's like social media, right? People yeah. follow him on AngelList. Yeah. And he, he said, I did it because I had nothing better to do during COVID. Yeah. And now I have almost 50 million AUM. And he clips, yeah. I think, I don't know, 10% yeah. fee. Yeah. Yeah. It's have, you heard, have you heard of the rolling fund concept on AngelList? Yeah. Where it yeah, doesn't yeah. have a close. That's real innovation to me. I made some money on on, on the AngelList investment. I got two go. X back. I put in, you know, some money. Look, at, X look at this cheeky and monkey then I right it. It's here. still in my AngelList account. Maybe I'll put it in somewhere else. But I did manage to. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I think the thing is, though, is that, you know, AngelList wasn't the first one that, that you know, crowdfunding was there beforehand. I think AngelList just gave it like a platform. No, no I, I, think it's different. Different. I think it's different. I disagree with that. I think you it was know, it's you, really like, different. If Michael, Michael, if you went tomorrow and said, I'm investing in this and I'm Southeast Asia, I've just left as general partner of Cocoon Capital, but I've got a track record. I'm going to put my own 50,000. I need 500,000. I'll tell you, 10, 15, 20 people will just follow you. And yeah. then you just clip but, a 10% but, fee. Yeah, but, 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 but I think crowdfund- look, uh, crowdfunding opened it up to the masses. Okay, crowdfunding is a concept. As a concept. Okay, got and it, yes. So, and then you moved, then kind of AngelList built structure, as you said, built a product that allowed it to actually work and actually let you, because crowdfunding as a, as a thing is just, it's just like the World West. And AngelList was like, we're going to take this concept because there's obviously a want of kind of people on, on the street, anybody wanting to invest and having access to these, these startups 
we'll bring it on to so sh- a product. Sh- sh- should we start our own angel list? Unreasonable uh, angel list. We should do let's that. Do right? That would be fun. Yeah. But, I'll but put then, five dollars in. But yeah. it's not just. It's just not that. It's like you look no. at like ICOs. You know, there's been so many times over the last like five years, te- five to ten years, where people have said, "This is going to disrupt. This is the end of VCs." Yeah, that's it, right. It, 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 it's, it's like the end. It, it's the end for you. You know, and I've looked at it, and I don't actually think there is one model. I think everybody thinks oh, it's got to be ICOs, it's got to be like VC, it's got to... I think actually that the, the market is growing so big, there's actually multiple different ways because investors, the kind of... I, I, agree. LPs, I agree with that, but things. I agree with that, but I think that the time for the 10-year standard venture capital fund is coming to an end. I think that that is not going to be with us for, you know, the next couple of decades that, that that's going to get rooted out of the entire ecosystem. So how do you think, like, what, what is it? You it know, could be a holding what, company. It could what, be a holding company. It could be a holding company. Could could be be a company. I, I like yeah. the idea of the perpetual capital structures. And I like the idea of rolling funds because what people really want, if you, if you were to ask yourself, what do you really mm. want? You want access to liquidity when you want to get it. Tying someone down to a fund where they cannot withdraw their capital is hard unless as Yen said earlier, you're an institutional endowment or something like that. If you don't mind thinking intergenerationally about wealth, you're mm-hmm. managing funds for hospital or university. Maybe I'll just wrap this up with one topic, which is I feel like irrespective of the innovation, one thing is non-negotiable. You better do a damn good job and people better trust you. And I think if you have that as a track record, you can do angel list, you can do tenure fund, you can do this fund, you can do a holding company if you've got a track record. And, uh, and I think Look, that's- Look, if, if the returns are great, if the no, returns one's gonna, are great no one's no, gonna question yeah. you. So, you can do whatever so you that's, want. That's, that's the end of the day. Yeah. You can do whatever you, you want. Got, you've got to get started. I think that's the thing yeah. is, it's, it's easy to say that if you've made it and you've given those returns to your investors. But if you're, if you're like a startup founder and you're trying to say, this is what I'm going to do. Then you do, do a 10-year close-end fund. And we do a close-end, <laughs> you close-end fund. But also if you're a founder, yeah. when you're t- raising that first lump sum of money, it's, you've got to persuade people that you're the right person, what you're doing is different. So I'm going to challenge that as well. Because I think that if you're now in 2021, a first-time fund manager, the fastest way that you can get off the ground is to do one of those rolling funds on AngelList. Quickly crowdsource the capital, get investors on board. People have, it's an automated discovery platform for you. There's an easy mechanism for the capital to come in and for you to actually invest it into companies for investors to track your portfolio. You can only do that if you've actually either got a reputation or if you want to, like, if you're just a nobody, if I didn't have a track record and I just went on there and said, hey, I'm doing a rolling fund. Right. I'm not going to be able to do it. The you'd still have to, would, by the way, you still have to sell it. You still, still have to, to talk to exactly, people. But I don't and they think, can just go through the platform. But it still comes down to your friend who said, yeah. visit it in Dubai. He had a history. I don't he, think no, he so was somebody I, that... My, my first super angel, SPV, I invested into Chope. I said, I'm the founder of Asian Food Channel. I'm putting half a million dollar vehicle. I'm putting 50,000. I was shocked how many people just said, yeah, okay. Yeah. And then it's like, that, like you could go. lose your money. And like, no, it, I know you're doing... And so then in, in this day and age, I probably used AngelList. That's it. Yeah. If you didn't have track. If I didn't have a track record, and that's what I was saying, you need the trust and you need the track record. Yeah. So Vishal, what are you, what are you doing this week, man? I'm back getting fit, Yen. Like I just started with a personal trainer. Today was my first session. I've got two more this week. Wow. 8 a.m. mornings. Something that I'm not really used to. You're a sucker for punishment. I know, 8 a.m. I know. I know. Oh, I know. I, I don't know why I'm doing it. How but many sessions did you book? 10? Uh, 12 weeks worth. 12 weeks yeah, worth. How many yeah. times a week? 
three times a week. Ooh, three yeah, times a week. If, if I remember Apparently, correctly, he's going on holiday. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to be, he's got 12 weeks, but he's going to be yeah. away for There's like... There's a bit of a, <laughs> a sojourn in between where I undo the effects of the personal training <laughs> and then come back and start okay. again. Yeah. Retox, detox. So I'm quite right. excited well, about that. Listeners, you know? I'll, I'll check in on you in two weeks' time. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting you guys to hold me accountable to this. Absolutely. You know? Hold Vishal accountable. Yeah. It actually works, by the way. Yeah, I think so. What's your target, though? I mean, is it weight loss? Is it turning up? It's like uh, it body recomps. I want to drop my I want to drop my body fat from buff. eighteen to twelve. You must eighteen. Eighteen to twelve. I'm double. I'm over double that, mate. It's okay. Uh, right? Maybe it, it, if the train is any good, let me know. It, I might, uh, I might need to do some uh, some it, personal training. It's myself. what makes you great to hug. You know, there's just it's, I've got it's I'm more, more, man, more it's to love. Uh, more exactly. to love. That's more what I keep love. on trying to tell Maria, but she doesn't really give me much grief but he and what are you up to i wonder to? what he ends up to he's just he's just like me 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 no no oh well i'm i'm it's all work 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 really? uh, i'm gonna judge i'm first time in doing a actual panel judge judging thing at slingshot the no. singapore fintech festivals in town in and, person and i've tried to avoid judging because it's you know it's, it's i've done it for a long time but somebody said yeah and this time you've got to do it so Okay. I'm going to be judging. Okay. okay, I think that's a wrap. Thank you very much. Good evening, everybody, and thanks for listening. See you in two weeks' time.